You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning. Good to see you all today. Glad you're with us. Today we're going to be talking about those who were challenging Jesus, Ben and his Talk before the Lord's Supper. Mentioned a couple of incidents uh, worthy of our attention in that regard. And we'll see some of that at the end of the lesson. What we find is that Jesus is a very challenging character to deal with. He's very challenging for us to deal with. It's challenging to take his message to others because of uh, the conflict that often comes with that message, of course, we recognize that Jesus knew it was challenging and knew what he was doing was challenging. He was constantly challenging us. We'll maybe mention that just but briefly. Today, though, we'll mainly concentrate on the enemies of Jesus as they directly confronted him, that they uh, sought to uh, hinder him to stop his work, to at times inflict pain on him. I don't think, though, that uh, as Jesus did that, uh, and we should not think of, whenever those challenges come, that it automatically demands a response of anathema. It always demands a, a, a challenge uh, back that is um, uh, certainly uncharitable. Uh, because Jesus, I think he would give us time, and, and even those who did at times challenge him, sometimes out of uh, a lack of understanding, they pushed back against what he was saying. Sometimes uh, they were confused and they thought they were actually defending uh, truth and right uh, and going against Jesus, but I think that uh, many of them, if they were honest, found they weren't. But just all, all over the place, Jesus is just a very challenging uh, character to deal with. Uh, again, today the enemies, uh, another lesson maybe in the future about how his friends were so challenging at times to him. But uh, we'll start with just briefly uh, Jesus as he challenges us, which, and he, I think he, he does this intentionally. He knows it's challenging to us. And so when we're confused sometimes by what he says and it challenges us, uh, that he gives us time uh, to understand what he's doing and gives us time uh, to accept it. Uh, the other day I saw an interesting video shared to me. It was about a, a fellow who a few years ago would almost certainly have considered himself a uh, professed atheist. But he was, and this guy lives quite a bit of public life. He's sort of, sort of a bit of a public intellectual. Lives a lot of his uh, uh, intellectual life and his, his life of, of thinking through things uh, uh, in front of video cameras, which I, I can't imagine doing that, but uh, he does. But uh, some years ago, there were uh, some, some statements from him as he was thinking about the things of Jesus, and then that was uh, cl- uh, clipped together with uh, some things that uh, he's saying now about Jesus. And he's, he's obviously undergoing some profound change in his thought 
and, and he wouldn't surprise me if in the next uh, coming bit, uh, he did, it certainly would not come, come out as a, a theist uh, for sure, and maybe even eventually, hopefully, while there's still time, a believer. But what we realize is, is that Jesus tells us things and challenges us in, uh, intensely in things that are really hard. So we'll start with that, uh, Matthew 6. And I think that one of the reasons why he's so gracious to us when sometimes we push back uh, on him for a time because he knows he's pushing us. Uh, this is a real push for us, Matthew 6. He, Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount. For if you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And man, that, that's, a, that's a challenging one right there. Saying that the Father's forgiveness is conditioned upon our forgiveness. And uh, certainly that challenges any religious thought that says, you know, the, the, uh, the forgiveness of Jesus is unconditional. Uh, or or uh, things like that. Because here he conditions it. And he conditions it on a thing that was pretty difficult. Another time there was a man who came and he thought that he was doing well. And Jesus especially challenged him because he had really a false notion of how well he was doing. It's the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. He said, well, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What good thing? And Jesus said, well, the commandments, keep the commandments. And this fellow said, oh, yeah, I do that. I've always been doing that. Ever since I was a kid, I've done that. What, what, what should I do? All these things I've kept from my youth up. Luke adds youth up. What am I lacking? And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And that's, that was more of a challenge than the man felt he was up to. And he went away sorrowful, and Jesus was sad to see him go. I think he was a good guy. But uh, uh, he couldn't meet the challenge. And, but, G, but, but he kind of had thrown it down when he said, oh, yeah, those commandments. No, <laughs> easy. Well, if the commandments are easy, then do this. And so Jesus challenged people. Uh, one more, because we could have a long series of lessons on Jesus challenging us. This is where the Jews were claiming to be disciples of Abraham and followers of Abraham, but they rejected Jesus. He said, well, if, you, if Abraham is your father, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. So be, be, be faithful. Abraham was faithful. He believed God. He was counted to as a friend of God. And so Jesus challenges. He's a very challenging character. But this morning, what we want to look at is not people who got confused, uh, people who were hesitant, people who missed the point for a bit. Uh, what we want to look at this morning is the enemies, how the enemies followed Jesus. These are, this morning, universally sinful challenges. These are challenges to inflict pain on him, to hinder him, to stop him, to defeat him, to... Uh, be as contrary to Jesus and the things he's doing as they could be. 
A number of these folks, had they, had they known a way to be more contrary to Jesus at this point, they would have done that instead. But we'll still note in this, in Jesus over and over, and this should be an example and lesson for us, a restrained response. There's not any of these where, uh, like in Korah's Rebellion, the ground is going to open up and swallow 250 of them. And then when people murmur about it, 115,000 is going to die of poisonous snakes the next day. Doesn't happen once in the Gospels, right? Happened in the wilderness. Doesn't happen in the garden. Could it have happened to nicer people? No. But still, it doesn't happen. It's a restrained response. It's a reasoned response. And in most cases, in most cases, it's a, it's a response that leaves the door open for these people to change and to come around and be disciples of Jesus. All right, now, the first one, there's not so much of an open door for that because our first challenger to Jesus is the devil himself. So, no, that, uh, he, uh, his, 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 um, his fate had already been sealed. We know where he's going to end up. There's going to be no, no, no repentance there. And no place for repentance. But this is the the devil. And what we'll note then is those who follow in these other challenges. They're really doing the devil's work. I don't think most of them knew they were doing the devil's work. Some of them, yeah, probably should have realized. But a lot of them, they don't realize they're doing the devil's work. Which is a scary thing for us because might we ever do his work without knowing it. All right, but the devil's challenge. Luke 4. The devil said to him, verse 3, If you're the son of, man, uh, son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Right out of the book of Deuteronomy. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I'll give you all this domain and glory. For it's been handed over to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. I can cite you some passages so that's not true. But the devil's known to lie, so he lies. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. That's right in the first commandment. And he led him up to Jerusalem. And had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him. If you're the son of God. Throw yourself down here. From here. For it's written in the Psalms. He will give his angels charge concerning you. To guard you. And on their hands. They will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil's noticed the pattern. So he's quoting scripture now. He's quoting scripture at greater length. If you go read the psalm where he said that, or he quoted that from, there's some missing parts in the middle of there about following after the will of God that are not quoted because that wouldn't help this cause. And Jesus answered and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so here we see the, the most direct challenges we ever see to Jesus uh, back to back to back in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting. And, you know, my blood sugar is dropping just a little bit now and it's 20 minutes to lunch. And I, I'm starting to feel a little weak if I say some things that 
uh, you know, don't sound right, I'm just going to blame it on that, right? Because I haven't had, had lunch yet. No, he's 40 days without food. And he meets these challenges with clarity and directness. In every case, he answers exactly what's needed with complete trust in God. And the effort of the enemy at the beginning to overthrow him does not succeed. And so Jesus, uh, sort of recreating the uh, experience of the children of Israel, uh, you know, he, the children of Israel uh, passed through the Red Sea and into, uh, into the wilderness. And then after a bit of time there, they, they came to uh, follow God. G- uh, Jesus kind of makes the same journey. Uh, he's baptized 40 days instead of 40 years in the wilderness. And then he comes to lead the people people of God, and he's already passed the test to let us know he's prepared to do that. And so the devil departed from him for an opportune time to come back and try yet again to uh, challenge Jesus. But we'll note how well Jesus handled the first, and it's just how well he'll handle the rest. In John 8, which we'll get to in our John uh, study eventually, in John 8 we find this, where they decide... To escalate the conflict, and there was quite a conflict between Jesus and those rulers in Jerusalem from John 8, 45. Because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you're not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, did we not rightly say you're a Samaritan and have a demon? All right, you're just, you're just gutter trash, Samaritan. You're demon-possessed. Now, they answer with insults when Jesus gives them a challenge. Uh, this is something that happens when we challenge in the name of Christ and for Christ, challenge to people to believe and submit to Christ. But if you've got nothing else to say, just insult them till they had insulted Jesus. Jesus said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. The demons don't honor God. He honored God. That's the proof. The, the rationality and the God honoring should be proof enough of the demon charge is, is wrong. And you dishonor me. Down to verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I said to you before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to, to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And so here they... We know that they escalate. They are challenged with logic and with argument. They challenge back with insults of the worst kind, being a Samaritan and a demon, being possessed. And when they, then that doesn't work, and those are easily deflected, they go to the last card of the worldly man. They go to violence. They, they go to picking up rocks. And they are ready to kill him then. And so he <coughs> was trying to teach them the truth. They rejected it. And they escalated every bit of the way. Now, uh, after they call him a Samaritan and demon-possessed, which is just about as bad a thing as the Jewish culture as you could say. Today the equivalent would be something about your mother, I'm sure. What did Jesus say about their parentage? What did Jesus say about their anything? He just said, no, 
That's not true, but this is the truth. The problem is you're not listening. Uh, When they pick up stones, Jesus, who by this time had a great phalanx of disciples with him, did he tell them, okay, guys, now's the time to pick up the stones or, you know, empty the rucksacks and form up, a, form up a grid. And if they start to throwing, we're going to have a counterattack like which they'll never see again. No, there's no escalation in, in uh, worldly things of this conflict. There's no, infl- there's no escalation of the insults and there's no escalation of the violence that they were prepared to do and that uh, uh, only his exit uh, prevented. And so he talked and reasoned as long as he could. He left when he couldn't reason with them. He could not have any conversation with them. We also find another place where they try to hinder his good works. They get in the way of him doing what's right. It's one of my my favorite stories, y'all will know it because of our constant telling of it from Luke 13, where there's a woman in the synagogue who for 18 years had a sickness. It says it was caused by the spirit. She was bent double and could not straighten up. Jesus asked her, would you like to be freed? Of course, she would like to be. He laid his hands on her. Immediately, she was erect and began glorifying God. The synagogue official, the man in, her, in, in the audience with her, where she's been a member there at that synagogue in that kind of pain, probably for most of this, she's been there 18 years as a member of the synagogue. He can't even be happy for her, right? So imagine if there's any of us who are longtime members here, uh, some visitor came and healed them. We were upset at them because they disrupted the service by healing our brother or sister in the congregation. That, that's the situation. That's the parallel. This synagogue official gets indignant, verse 14, because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He begins to say to the multitude, there's six days in which work should be done, therefore come during them and be healed and not on the Sabbath. Jesus calls them hypocrites. Ask them how they, which of them wouldn't help their, their donkey or their ox and says the daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound, has been released here on the Sabbath day and you're, you're upset. And he was humiliated. Now, we notice Jesus didn't insult the man once. There's all kinds of things we might want to say about that guy. But Jesus just said, this is hypocrisy. You are, you are concerned about the wrong thing. They rejoiced over the glorious things that were being done by him. They rejoiced in his miracles. I wonder if maybe they also didn't rejoice in his uh, turning aside that officious fella. But we'll find that the enemies of Jesus, they don't want good works done in his name. Uh, today we see it in the world where, you know, Christians have been running for a long time. Believers have been running for a long time. Adoption agencies or hospitals or various other kinds of charity. And what, what do some of the civil authorities say? Unless you adopt this kind of non-discrimination policy, which includes many things which are sinful and should well be discriminated against, you can't do your good works. We're going to disqualify you from acting in this way in helping society, even though we all know you're doing good because you won't approve these other, other things. And the only thing we can do is just you know, not grow weary in doing good and, and argue of, of how uh, these things are, are hypocritical and yet realize, like Jesus, we're probably still going to be going to a different synagogue. 
because uh, the good works, the, the good works they, they are opposed to because it's too closely tied to Jesus and gives his honor and glory. And they'd rather just not be done as to him get credit. And so sometimes then also they work to de- delegitimize things. They work to try and discredit good that's done. Jesus in Matthew 21, in the last week, he came to the temple. The chief priests and elders of the people came. He said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who, how are you teaching the, the, the people all these spiritual things? Uh, and they're, they're not in accord with ours. How, where's your authority? And he said, well, this one thing I'll ask you then. Tell me, and I'll tell you by what authority. The baptism of John, where did it come from? Heaven or men? Well, of course, they were unable to answer because they hadn't been baptized by John. If they said yes, well, but John obviously had the authority of God. He was the greatest prophet, and the people all honored him as such because he was of God. If we say that, that's a problem because we didn't do what John said. But if we say that John came from men, and that's why we could ignore him, then the people, they all honor John, and they're going to hate us all the more. But we note how when they're trying to delegitimize what Jesus did, with a simple question, Jesus showed their lack of authority, their lack of legitimacy. And so oftentimes, those who come and uh, do the questioning first, whoever's asking the questions most of the time has the authority. I wouldn't suggest you do this, but there are some pretty hilarious things online where there's some, some kind of, uh, I don't I don't even know how to call these guys. I, I would say mischief makers, but they don't break any laws. But they, 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 they're a little bit of, uh, you know, they know what they're doing. They go up to policemen, and they start asking policemen the kind of questions policemen ask people. Hey, why are you here? What are you doing? Where did you, you come from? What, what, what do you plan to be doing? Uh, and they ask, they, they, they ask the, the other policeman that's with them, well, has he been drinking before he came out to do this? And just all these kind of very assertive questions the policemen used to put other people off of their, uh, off their stride. And, of course, policemen do that with also a badge and a gun. These guys are just doing it asking questions. And it's amazing the, the, the bad response the policemen give. They, they are not ready for anybody to ever question them and what they do. And I admit I sometimes get a perverse bit of pleasure out of watching things like that. Uh, because there are definitely some of those guys who have you know, overstepped their authority. But the, the one who asks questions is so many times the one who uh, is in an authoritative position. So they come out there, all of them. The, uh, they're in the temple. They're in their home turf. The chief priests, the elders, they all come out and they start asking questions. And they know how this should go. The other guy should get intimidated and he should start answering questions probably either poorly or he should leave, right? But with the authority of, the son of being the Messiah on his side, what does he say? All right, I'm going to ask you a question. And so that technique of Jesus, when we have the authority, when we have you know, the, the rightness of Christ on our side, that's a powerful thing. And so they challenged Jesus. He challenged them back. There's other times, though, they thought they had the upper hand this gets to what Ben said during the Lord's Supper talk, where Jesus had submitted to them, like a, the prophecy says, a, 
as sheep uh, going to the shearers, going to slaughter without saying a word. And when they had him on the cross, they mocked him. They offered him sour wine and they said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. They just did that to inflict pain on him to make him feel worse at a bad time. And that's a terrible thing. When somebody's down, you go kick them when they're down. In this case, it's metaphorical, but they don't need the actually kicking because they've already nailed him to a cross, quite literally. As it says in Matthew 27, 39, and this shows their character, those passing by were hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads. Others were quoting back to him some of the things that they said, which were true, but they didn't understand it yet. You were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Instead, he saves us. He did come back in three days. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. No, he didn't do that. He did something greater. He came back from the grave. In the same way, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders were mocking him. And they were saying he saved others, but he can't save himself. See, they misunderstood entirely. And this is the problem. So many people entirely misunderstand what Jesus says and why Jesus says it and what Jesus was doing. He was saving others, right? He could have saved himself. He didn't save himself so he could save others. He's the king of Israel. Now let him come down from the cross. Yes, he is the king of Israel. But the plan is not to come down from the cross. But the plan is to be raised from the grave. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now. No, God didn't deliver him from death, but God delivered him or from the dying. God delivered him from death, from the grave, if he takes pleasure in him, for he said, I'm the son of God. So they're saying all these things just to mock, just to hurt. They're doing these things to inflict emotional pain on a dying man. Right? So we think about those who we've known who have recently passed especially if someone's under hospice care and their time is approaching and we know, we know their time is nearing, is anything ever done to make them uncomfortable? To make them feel bad? To make them have doubts? To, to, to get in the last kick before they go? But what are all these people doing to Jesus? They're glorying in his pain. They're enjoying the fact that he's suffering. They are inflicting every kind of pain they can in him when they know he can do nothing about it. What does that tell us about them? And the way he bore it, when suffering uttered no threats, is from the line from 1 Peter, giving us an example that we should walk in his steps and trusting himself to the one who judges rightly. That's the example for us. And so, these are the enemies and their challenges to Jesus. We could find more examples, but these are the types. To defeat and overthrow him, to escalate the conflict with him, to hinder the good that's done in his name, to delegitimize him as Messiah and Lord, and to inflict pain on his followers. And Jesus says, look, they're, they're going to run the same play card on you. John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world will love its own because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. <coughs> or as John would say in 1 John in his letter to the churches, do not marvel, brethren, that the world hates you. 
So we're going to see the same playbook against those who operate in the name of Jesus and with Jesus. And what's the defense? Well, the defense is the defense like Jesus. A right attitude, not selfishness. Rightly using the scripture like Jesus did with the devil. You just keep on doing the good. Jesus, how many synagogues did he get a bad response to? Healing on the Sabbath. He just kept doing it because it was right. He used logic and he could use good reason. He de-escalated, not escalated. He, he wasn't, uh, he didn't give personal provocation. Yes, his teaching was provocative enough. He didn't give personal provocation. And he didn't try, obviously, to inflict any pain on anybody. He helped people who were in pain. And we think about those who inflicted pain on him while he was on the cross. That included those thieves on the cross. And when one of them repented, how soon did Jesus offer him help? Instantly. And so even if that person was your opponent an hour ago or a minute ago, if they come to understand who Jesus is, if they come to be on the Lord's side, well, now they're on the same side as us, aren't they? And so here were the challenges that Jesus faced from his enemies and how well he met those challenges and became an example for us. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.